0: Welcome to the Bagwell Center podcast. This podcast features lectures and symposia hosted by the Bagwell Center for the Study of Markets and Economic Opportunity at Kennesaw State University. The Bagwell Center's mission is to provide a platform for an interdisciplinary study of the importance of markets and economic institutions in regards to resource allocation, entrepreneurial activity, economic prosperity, and improved human welfare. Through extracurricular outreach activities, such as guest lectures, film screenings, workshops, fellowships, and reading groups, the Bagwell Center places an emphasis on educating students about the foundations of market institutions and examining the related impact of government policy in a mixed economy. For more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit coles.kennesaw.edu/econop.
1: Thank you, Tim, very much. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for inviting me, I'm uh, pleased to be here. Um, I'm Kerwin Swent, Chair of the Department of Political Science and International Affairs. Uh, Beginning in January, we're going to be the KSU School of Government and International Affairs. So we're excited about the possibilities that might bring us maybe more work with the Center. We'd enjoy that. Chris is speaking directly after me, so I guess I'm opening for nirvana.
0: <laughs>
1: I've been wanting to say that all week, um, so I finally got it out. Um, you said that would be a
0: lame joke, but that was a good joke. Was, that, was it? No, I just,
1: I don't know if it was lame or good, so. It's going on my CV, way, <laughs> for uh, No, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I was asked to provide uh, a talk on voting in elections from a political science perspective. Um, And uh, that's uh, significant because there's a whole subfield of political science called political behavior. And so this is a a slice of that. We're going to be talking about voting behavior. Um, And specifically, I'm going to go over some things that we political scientists and other analysts look at as far as uh, vote choice and who votes. First of all, who votes? Voter participation. Right, the different factors that lead some people to vote in higher percentages than other people, other individuals. And then secondly, vote choice, who do those individuals vote for, and what are some of the factors that determine that. Then after that analysis of those factors, we're gonna look at um, the 2016 exit polls and uh, see how those factors played out in the actual 2016 vote numbers uh, where Donald Trump won. Then if there's time, I want to say one or two things about gerrymandering uh, because I have some professional experience uh, with with that issue. Um, Part of what we're trying to do here is come up with, as I said, who votes? What individuals are more likely to vote than other individuals? Um, And that's important in political science. It's also important in practical politics, You know, uh, in, in some ways, the likely voter who's gonna vote is the holy grail of looking at political analysis. For example, if you are a candidate in a political campaign, you want to pinpoint the people most likely to vote in your election. And so one way you do that is you look at the voting records and see who has voted in the past. Those are your historic voters. So some people will vote once every six years. Some people will vote every time there's an election. You know, hopefully you're looking for the people that vote regularly, at least every two years. Those are your historic voters, your likely voters, and those are the ones you want to pinpoint in your election, right? You want to spend time and money seeking out those people, persuading them to vote for you. Or assume you're a political pollster, you're also looking for a model that you can use to predict who's going to turn out on election day. And so the likely voter is important to you there as well. So the voting record will be a part of that, the historic voter but also the really demographic variables that pollsters will use to try and work up their model, and then survey data on top of that. Uh, They're trying to get as close to reality as they can and and look for that likely voter. So that's how it's practically applied, and that's what some of the research leads us to. So what I have up here uh, are two different categories of factors that sort of play into this. Um, At the top there, you have social demographic factors. These are things about the individual. These are characteristics, traits, identifiers, habits about a person, right? So it's a very personal sort of factor. These are things about an individual themselves. At the bottom, you have more political factors, things that a voter uses to make decisions. Uh, They make calculations using these sorts of factors. Uh, that leads them to vote one way or another, or show a pattern of voting one way or another. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other possibilities in both categories, but these simply tend to be the ones that come up again and again and again in the research in political science and and other fields of analysis. So I'm going to go through uh, and show you some illustrations. Uh, We don't have time to go into depth on each one, but I think you'll get a pretty good overview of um, some of these factors and how they're applied. So it's going to go down a list here starting with education. And so this is a look at um, percentages of people with certain degrees or certain levels of education and percentage that they turn out to vote from the U.S. Census Bureau. So you can see here for example that high school graduates vote at a rate of about 51-52%. And what that means is that about 52% of the voting age population The people 18 years and older turn out in that rate, about 52% for high school graduates. The big jump is bachelor's degree. People with a bachelor's degree, and this is the 2012 election, by the way, turned out at a rate of about 75%, so about 25, almost 25 points higher uh, going from high school to college. But the overall feel you get here is a gradual progression. The more education someone has, the more likely they are to come out and vote. And there are different reasons for this. There are cultural reasons. There are economic reasons, Uh, but simply, you can imagine that someone with more education is someone with more access to information, probably seeks out information about politics, about an election, and is in a position to better use that information and make decisions. So this is a pretty consistent finding in political science. Income works in a very similar way. Uh, The higher your income level, the more likely you are to come out and vote. This looks at the 2012 turnout figures in blue with the 2014 midterm election figures in gray. Uh, But you see, it works the same way here. There's a progression according to income scale. Uh, The more money you make, the more money an individual makes, the more likely they are to vote. Now, that's tied in some ways to education. They're related to each other. You know, uh, in, in theory, the more education someone has, the higher their income. Uh, but still, there are factors independent of that that drives people with higher incomes to vote in higher numbers. A lot of that is related to economics uh, and, and occupation. But it's a, a similar progression there. I mean, uh, another uh, very uh, documented source in political science. So education and income are really the big two. They're, they're two of the biggest factors that uh, come up again and again in the research. You can look at race and ethnicity as a variable. And you see here different turnout numbers uh, for different races. So this is the 2008 presidential election, again by the Census Bureau numbers. And you see that about uh, just under 65% of all white Eligible voters turned out to vote in 2008. Just over 60% of, of black voters, 32.1% uh, for Asian, 316 for Hispanic. So you get a feel there for different variables and their impact um, in different elections. Now, in 2012, the uh, participation of black voters actually increased from there. It was about 64% uh, in 2012 when Barack Obama was re-elected. In 2016, about a year ago, uh, the percentage turnout of black voters fell under 60%. It was about 59% uh, in 2016. So so it declined uh, when Barack Obama was not on the ballot. But again, a picture here of different factors, different identifiers that lead people to vote in, in different numbers. Age, a similar path here. The older you are. You're sensing a trend here, right? I mean, uh, the higher your education, the higher your income, and, and the, the older you are, the more likely you are to vote. Um, I like to tell my classes that senior citizens vote in high numbers. They're the, they're the most active voting block uh, because they probably have time on their hands and they're pissed off, <laughs> so they're, and they're very organized, right? Um, but, you know, uh, I guess realistically, or, or maybe naively, you would, you would say that they've come to realize how important it is to vote every time. And, and, and they do, and they get out there. Whereas the young people, uh, not so much. Not so much. It's like that, that, that song, I think from the Who, I'd like to help you, son, but you're too young to vote. Is that, for, is that a Who song? That was a cover. That was a cover? Okay. Well, you would know. <laughs> Blue Chair. Blue Chair did that song. Dad, uh, he died in London. He care for the summertime. Yes. There you go. There go. go. Eddie Cochran. Eddie Cochran, okay. alright alright you All right. All right. Y'all are good with the popular culture. All right, gender. Um, this is not a Census Bureau number. This is an exit poll finding from, uh, from last year, the 2016 exit poll. Which is done by Edison Media Research, by the way. And uh, the, most of the major networks, news agencies, uh, use Edison Media Research for, for their exit polling. And you see here that this is reported votes. Uh, and so their finding was that of all the people who voted in the election, 53% were women, 47% were men. This is actually very consistent with what we find in most national elections, most federal elections, uh, is that women comprise slightly more percentage of, of the vote. Uh, So some people take from that that women are more reliable voters, right? And this is actually an important thing because Republican candidates in particular want to be able to appeal to female voters. The religious makeup of the electorate, this is another thing. This is from Pew Research. You can get an idea here between Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, other faiths, and then the unaffiliated What percentage of the electorate. They comprise from 2000 to 2012, Um, so you can get a picture of that. Then geography. and There are a couple of ways to look at geography. This is a ranking of turnout by state in 2016 and then 2012 in the parentheses there. Uh, And so you can see the relative turnout rate by state in Georgia. uh, Not doing terribly here, that's about average really for 2016, but it's in the bottom half of, uh, of the list. The states that have higher turnout over here, uh, Minnesota for example, has a, a long tradition of public service and, and government action and, and uh, you know voting is a, is a, uh, a treasure thing in, in some of those states like that. So Minnesota's near the top of the list. But some of the states on the left here are battleground states in the 2016 election. And so the more competitive an election is, the more attention it gets, like in the battleground states, the swing states, turnout tends to be higher. Uh, And then you can see the rank from 2012 there, uh, right beside it. Another way to look at geography, and this is an increasingly uh, interesting finding in political science, is the urban-rural split between Democratic voters and Republican voters. And basically this is that city voters, city dwellers, urban voters tend to vote Democrat. And uh, voters in the rural areas or suburban areas a lot of times tend to vote Republican. This is by county. And I believe this is 2012, this is 2012 numbers. But you can see Atlanta there, Uh, you can see some of the other urban areas there, Miami, you know, and and so on. So where you live, you know, the type of community you live in is is a factor in, in how you vote. Party affiliation, party is a big one, you know, almost all Democrats vote for the Democratic candidate, almost all Republicans vote for the Republican candidate, and so this is a pretty consistent finding. But here you see the relative fortunes of partisan identification from 92 to 2012, and uh, in 2012 Democrats enjoyed a pretty significant partisan advantage among those uh, identifying one party or the other. Now we get to some of the more political factors, uh, the calculations, the decisions that people make. Um, and part of it is based on how's the current party in power doing? In almost every presidential election is in large part a referendum on the party that controls the White House, especially if a president is running for a re-election. That's an important factor. Um, so you can see here, the last six presidents who ran for re-election, uh, and their approval ratings just a few days before election day. Well, two of these candidates lost, right? Only two candidates lost. They're the only two candidates who have lost a reelection campaign since Herbert Hoover. And you can see why. In Jimmy Carter's case, he had a 34% approval rating. Uh, George H. W. Bush had a 29% approval rating just about a week or so before the election. Uh, Bush 43 and Obama, high 40s. Where's Donald Trump at right now? About 37, 36 percent, somewhere in there. So he's near the Mendoza line uh, for presidential candidates. A lot of voters vote based on issues. And this is again from the exit poll from 2016 52 percent said the economy was the most important issue. That's pretty common. It's not that unusual unless there's another big issue. Uh, before the voters, and you see the the relative listing there, foreign policy, immigration, terrorism. Candidate traits. um, Some voters make a decision based on who they like. Likeability is a big factor. Um, And this one, the candidate that can bring change was the biggest trait that they made their voting decision on. So 2016 was a change election. Right? That's the significant thing. It was a change election uh, which resulted in Donald Trump. Here's a look at turnout between presidential election years on top, midterm election years on bottom. And so you can see the turnout is much greater when there's a presidential election. So in some sense it matters what's on the ballot. All right, I wanted to be able to look at some exit poll results here. And these are reported by, by CNN just to see, again, how this played out in 2016. So you can look at gender, for example. I chose this because of the color-coded answers here, red for Republican, blue for Democrat. So again, this female vote here, 53% to 47% male, you can see that Clinton had a 13-point edge over Trump with females. Trump had an 11-point edge with males. You can see the age breakdown right here. Uh, The younger the voter, the more likely they were to vote for Hillary Clinton, the older for Donald Trump. And just have some other age breakdowns here. Uh, The racial breakdown, about 71% uh, was white, and they went for Donald Trump by 20 points. And you see the other percentages here. Blacks went heavily for Hillary Clinton, uh, Latino, Asian, uh, and so on. Let's see, let me get to a couple other factors here. Education, this was a widely reported statistic throughout the Republican primaries, and that was that uh, Donald Trump's voters were much more likely to be less than college educated. It, 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 uh, he did very, very well among those with either some college or just high school. Uh, but you can see the breakdown here by education. And then education, race, uh, and so on. Income. The income levels are about what you would expect. Uh, Trump did better with those making over $50,000 a year. Uh, It's pretty close to a wash here once you get above $200,000 family income. But uh, you can see the the breakdown here. Um, Party ID is about what you would expect. Um, Ideology, marital status, and, and, and so on. So, uh, that's about how it played out. You got, what, two minutes left? So, something? Three minutes? Okay. I um, wanted to say something about gerrymandering. Now, you're a smart crowd, I know you know that gerrymandering is when a partisan majorities at the state level redraw the district boundaries for congressional districts at the federal level and state legislative districts in their states. Uh, and so gerrymandering has been with us since the founding of the republic, it's always been here, and it's always been used by whichever political party has a majority uh, to draw those district boundaries in a way that favors their party's candidates. Right? So it's one of the things that both Democrats and Republicans have used nationally and in Georgia uh, to put their candidates in a better competitive position. It's increasingly become an issue the last, I'd say, 10 or 20 years as there have been some really egregious uh, examples of, of parties taking advantage of the situation right, to gerrymander and create districts that may not be representative, may not be fairly drawn uh, based on who lives there. Um, I served for a few years on the board of Common Cause Georgia, this is a few years ago. And one of the main issues of that group, and it still is, was a reform of the redistricting process. Now they favored, and a lot of people still favor, a constitutional amendment in Georgia that creates an independent commission that does the drawing of the districts instead of the state legislature. But that would require a constitutional amendment in Georgia. And in Georgia, we don't have the initiative like California does or like some of the western states do where citizens can get a proposition on the ballot. The legislature has to approve it and put it on the ballot. So that being the case, realistically, it's never gonna happen in Georgia. You're not gonna have the state legislature voluntarily giving up that kind of power. Why would they, right, whether they're Republicans or Democrats? Uh, So, hoping for that, it's a little bit like hoping the Atlanta Falcons win the Super Bowl, you know. (laughs) It's just not likely to happen, and it kills me, but you know, but that's sort of what it's like. And so, uh, the people advocating redistricting reform really have their hopes on the Supreme Court uh, these days, because the Supreme Court is looking at a case out of Wisconsin uh, that could result in a rule that uh, limits the kind of partisan uh, redistricting uh, that takes place. And they should be announcing that decision in just a few weeks. Uh, so, so we may to find out very soon about that. All right, so that's my time, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Bagwell Center podcast. For more content like this, please be sure to subscribe. And for more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit us online at coleskinesawedu econop.